42 years ago, I got invited to go to a youth group, and I just moved into town, and I was a seventh grader. How'd you like to move between sixth and seventh grade? Not a very good time. Going into seventh grade, you don't know a soul. Not a soul. Kind of like coming here to Newton. You don't know a soul. Not a soul. Flashbacks. So in seventh grade, I got invited to a youth group. So I went to this youth group. And over the course of some months, uh, I, we had some interaction with some of the church people uh, and not the, between the youth group and the church people, uh, they must have come and maybe brought snacks or, or done something because when it came time for them to invite me to go to the church service on Sunday, and that was every Tuesday night, uh, a guy named Bill would drop me off at my house and he'd say, pick you up Sunday morning? And I knew something. I knew that if I was going to go on a Sunday morning, I had to be dressed right. I had to be dressed nice. I had to, have a, have a, had to have a shirt that buttoned up the front, like had a folded collar. I didn't have any of those at the time. So I would say, no, I'm going to be busy. No. Uh, oh, offering. Have we not taken the offering yet? No. Uh, I don't know about the offering. Hey, they're going to pla- pass baskets around in just a minute. When they do, just empty your pockets, just whatever's in there. Candy, gum, you know, anything like that. Use, even use Kleenexes, just uh, take care of it. So, uh, uh, no, you got, no, that's all right. You didn't throw me off, not at all. Uh, I know right where I'm at. So, anyway, I couldn't go on a Sunday. I couldn't go because I wasn't dressed right. I didn't have the right clothes. And somehow, I figured out that, uh, you know, I wasn't dressed right to go, so for three years, I didn't go. For three years. Not until I got a job at a supermarket and had to buy a shirt with a button up. And when I bought that shirt, I thought, oh, I can go to church now. I can go to church on a Sunday morning. So, so today, I was so excited when I woke up. I thought, oh, this is, that, this is that, that reach out Sunday. So I can wear jeans today. I can be like a normal person. So if you're wearing jeans this morning, I I welcome you. I'm glad. But one thing we never want, we do not ever, ever, ever want weird stuff like that to keep people from coming and joining in worship on a Sunday. So 31 years ago, I was a new young pastor in this little church in Factoryville, Pennsylvania, about 35 people. And I decided I wanted to do a study on the church. So I had, somehow I had some kind of a computer. I don't remember to this day where I got to this computer, but there was a computer that had a Bible software on it. And so I printed out all the times in the New Testament the word church was used. Every verse, I printed it out. So it was a list of scriptures, and then it was a list of scriptures with the verse. So I went through the Bible, and I looked up every time The Bible used the word church. And I was shocked to to discover something. Now, I was in my third year of Bible college, and this little church that we had been attending asked my wife and I if we if I if I could be the pastor for a while, because they were they were in between, and I ended up there for several years. And I did not know that every time in the New Testament that the word church was used in here, that it would never once refer to the building. I didn't know that. And it was like, 
egads. This was like a great eureka. This was a great discovery for me. It never talks about a building. It was always talking about a group of people. A group of people. And truly, I had never really heard the word church used for anything other than the building that we would go to. So I think that the church is having an identity crisis, was having an identity crisis when I was growing up, but shockingly, it still is. It still is. Because for 31 years, I've been talking to my church, wherever that happened to be, and telling them how, you know, it's, you're, you're not the church. The building, the building is, I mean, no, no, no. The building is not the church. You're the church. You're the church, not the building. I, I've been saying this for 31 years. So this week, I got to go to Lutheran Church of Hope in Des Moines because at the beginning of the calendar year, uh, my former associate pastor, Johnny, and I were asked to come and do a workshop, a couple workshops on small church ministry for small church pastors because they're the largest church in the state, and they had small church pastors coming, which obviously they would if they're the largest church. All the pastors who come have smaller churches, and they wanted guys that are, were, were, were fluent in small church ministry to come and do some workshops. So we did this on Thursday, and before one of the workshops, one of the sessions had uh, a woman seminary professor speak for an hour. And as she was speaking, I'm listening. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, this is exactly right. This is so true. And she had, I think she had four, four points to her, to her presentation. But I remember three of them, and, and I wrote them down. And I, and I want to share them with you just as kind of an intro this morning. So basically, uh, I'm jacking her whole message to use for this morning on a Sunday morning. But no, just, uh, just three points, just quickly, because... She's saying about the Lutheran church what I've been thinking, and maybe some of you have been thinking for a long time. The first thing that she said, one of the things she said, was that we conflate the structure of the church with the the church's essence or purpose. So we confuse the structure, and she wasn't talking about building structure. She meant uh, programs and the, the mechanism, the way the church operates and the politics of gathering together and all. We confuse that with what the church is to be and do. So the church is something and the church does something and we get them all mixed up. And I would, I would throw in the word structure for building as well, as well as programs uh, and the uh, things that we do as a church. So I thought, yep, that's true. We really do. For instance, um, when a group of people get together, if you have a group of people over to your house, how many of you, when you eat, you line the chairs up in little rows and the rows are all facing the same direction? Uh, Oh, you don't do that? I mean, somehow, as a church, the structure, our cultural structure, in our culture, we figured out, we're very comfortable with it is we set all the chairs up so nobody's looking at anybody else. I mean, none of you are facing anyone but me, except for the back of people's heads. That's helpful for fellowship and relationship, right? You are all looking at the back of somebody's head or over the back of it at my face, or weird, even weirder is you're looking at the screen, so I actually have to look back at the camera 
so that when you look up at the screen, I'm actually looking you right in the eye. I mean, this is just not right. It's not right. But this, these are the structures. This is what we do. And we confuse. We start confusing who we are and what we're to do with the structure and the culture. We've already talked about that, culture, Bible type thing. It's all the same. The second thing is, she said, she said engagement is more important than membership or attendance. I thought, oh, that is so good. I was thinking that, but not in those words. Because I've been talking, and and I don't know if I've talked to our pastors here. I'm pretty sure I have mentioned at least once or twice, and, and maybe to the elders, that the way we measure a church is we measure dollars in, and this is how my partner said it, Dollars and derrieres. Is that okay? Is that okay? <laughs> Bucks and butts. Oh, that's even worse. That's even worse. So, but really, we measure the offering, and then we measure the attendance. But attendance on a Sunday morning, it's just one thing. It's not even the most important thing, but by far. But it's one thing. But what we don't me- measure very well, and we should measure much better, is engagement engagement because you're the church all throughout the week right we've been talking about this and so how are you engaged so membership so you become a member and your name gets written down on a piece of paper and whoop-de-doo there you go you're a member congratulations start giving every week show up every week and whatever but membership is is one it's it's not really it's cultural because the most important thing is not that your name is written down on a membership list, but that your name is written in the, the Lamb's Book of Life. Oh my goodness, if it's written in the Book of Life, you're good. Church membership really means nothing. Hate your mother, hate your father, right? Compared to your love for me. So church membership is nothing compared to being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? So membership, attendance. How many people show up to church on a weekend and it's like they walk in and they're, we ought to put little punch time clocks on the back of the seats. So when you punch in, you take your card out, maybe swipers. You just swipe your card. You go like this. And, or you can maybe hold your, tap your phone on it. And that shows that you were here. So you attend. How... Now, you're not like this. Praise God, Community Heights Church is not like this. But do you know how many people across America think that when they show up, when they attend a worship service, that they've gone, they put in their hour, no longer than an hour, please, please, and they leave, and they're good. That's it. They're good. That's all. People actually believe that. So engagement, engagement is way, but how do you measure engagement? That's a little harder. How do you teach engagement? That's a little more involved. Hey, you know, come to church, be a member. That's easy to say, but what does it mean? What it really means is to get engaged in the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. The third thing she said was, she said there's the church gathered and scattered. Two expressions of the church. They're either gathered or they're scattered. Like right now, we're gathered. Then we're going to scatter. And she said, we spend way too much time and energy and resources on the gathered side of it. On Sunday morning. 
Now, I don't know if I 100% agree with that for our church. I'm thinking we don't really, we might be a little guilty of that, but we don't really do that because we get together on Wednesday nights, we get together during the week, we get together in the mornings, we get together in the evenings, we get together at other times. You all, a lot of you are in small groups, and we get together at other times other than Sunday morning. And we don't put all of our eggs in just the Sunday morning basket. She was speaking from her own experience within the Lutheran church, from growing up with a grandfather and a father who were Lutheran pastors, going to a Lutheran church as a kid, getting confirmed in the Lutheran church, going to a Lutheran college, then a Lutheran seminary, and now teaching at a Lutheran seminary. And she was saying we put too much energy into Sunday mornings and not enough into what is the church doing as they're scattered about. Now, I want to take you to a passage that Scott Wiggins talked from two weeks ago um, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And when he spoke on this, I knew I was going to use this coming up. And uh, I, like, I like what he had to say. And I just want to, I want to jump off from there in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This is the verse that he read. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There's the peculiar people phrase, right? That you may declare that. In other words, this is what you are for the purpose of this. You are these things so that, so that in order that, for the purpose of declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So here's the first description this morning of what is the church. Because the problem is the church has an identity crisis. And the problem is they don't know who they are. And when you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. I mean, if you don't know who you are, then what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing either. And the problem is, in, in churches far and wide, they don't know who they are. And they, some of them don't even know they're supposed to be doing anything other than showing up at church. And this cultural reality creeps into our lives. We're always having to push against it. We're always having to, to swim a little bit upstream culturally. So the first thing it says here is that we are the people of God. The people of God. We're not, we're not, a, we're not a building. We're not an organization. Uh, we're not a denomination. As believers... Together, we constitute what is called here the people of God. We are a people. We are a people. Okay, so having that, we just back up in that chapter just a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Jesus is the living stone. Remember back in Exodus, he's the rock? Was it Exodus? Back there, whenever, when they were in the wilderness, he was the rock? that Moses spoke to, and the water gushed out. And then later on, when Jesus actually came incarnate, he stood up and said, I, I, am the, I am the water of life. If anyone drinks from me, streams of living water will flow from him or her. 
So it says here that he's the living stone. Rejected by humans, Peter says, but chosen by God and precious to him. So Jesus the Son, chosen by the Father, precious to him. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And here he starts using this edifice terminology, this building symbolism. He says, you're, you're like living stones. You're like stones, but you're like living stones. And you're being built into this spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So the people of God, those were the Israelites, right? Those were the children of Israel. They were the people of God. The holy priesthood, that was one-twelfth of them, right? That was the Levites. Now he's calling us the people of God. He's calling us, uh, later on here, a, a holy nation, nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. But being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why are the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? See, in the olden days, guys like me would preach to folks like you that you'd better offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable not like the sacrifice of Cain. Get it together, you people. You've got to bring good sacrifices. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. No, it's saying that the sacrifices you bring, they are acceptable because of Jesus Christ. It's called the power of the cross. It's called the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes our sins away. When we bring in Jesus' name and when we come to God on the basis of his son, hey, I know your son, he sees us in Christ. Our offering to him, our sacrifices, they are acceptable because they're through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2 because, oh, like five or ten years before Peter wrote, Paul wrote. And I'm wondering if Peter didn't get some of his terminology from Paul. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about who the church is who they are. And this is where we find our identity from, through passages like this, through what God's Word tells us we are, who God's Word tells us we are. Consequently, verse 19 of Ephesians 2. And this, is, this comes on the heels of chapter 2, the greatest rivalry, the greatest two-team rivalry in the history of mankind is the rivalry between the Jews and the Gentiles, Right? Between the haves, we've got the God of Israel, and the have-nots. The Jews saw the Gentiles very, very differently than they saw one another. And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul teaches how Jesus Christ brings the two together, and out of the two, he makes one new man, one new person in Christ. He brings the the, the dividing, he breaks down that dividing wall of hostility and he brings the two together. And he says in verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So now it's not just the Jews that have the God of Israel, but through him we both, both Jew and Gentile, have access. Now for you, if you're theologically minded, here's a great verse that talks about uh, uh, to the triune God. We see the triune God in this one short passage. Through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, we get into verse 19. Consequently, 
which is a 50-cent word, by the way. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You Gentiles, you're no longer on the outside looking in. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. The word household could be translated family. You're members of God's family. You're fellow citizens with the people, the original, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the children of God. As they were by faith connected to the God of Abraham, you will be by faith connected to him. Built on, verse 20, the foundation, so now we're getting into the edifice talk again. The, the structure, the building talk. The building talk. There's a lot of irony here too. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the, the followers of Jesus, the 12 apostles, and the prophets of the Old Testament, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We sang about cornerstone this morning. The cornerstone was like the footing, right? right? You set the cornerstone and it guided the direction of the rest of the house. It made sure everything was square, and if the cornerstone was off, the whole thing would be off. But in our case, the cornerstone isn't off because it's Jesus. And so the whole building is really rooted in Jesus. In him, verse 21, the whole building is joined together. and The whole building. So now we've got the term building. Maybe this is where we got it all wrong. Maybe, ironically, we didn't understand it here because people say, I'm going to church. People say, oh, you can't say that in church. But what if you is the church? Then what, is, what are the implications of that? If you can't lie in church and you can't use those words in church, what if you're the church? There's, there's a lot of implications to that. But when we take the word church off of ourselves and slap it on the building, there's a lot of implications to that too. And we see those implications uh, borne out every single week all across, I'm just gonna pick on America, all across America. It's the culture I know, right? The American church. That's the culture I know. This is the culture you know. It's the culture that we swim in. And the fact that people can take the the word church off themselves and slap it on the building has terrible, terrible implications that are, that are played out every single week. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now this is Old Testament language, right? This is tabernacle, temple, covenant language. And he says that in Jesus, all the people who Peter called like living stones, they're joined together, they're fit together in Jesus, and we're being built, we rise, we rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. The irony is there is a building that has to do with the word church, there is a building, but we're the building, we're the building. The building isn't, the church isn't the building, it's actually us, we're the building. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we look in the Old Testament and we see the tabernacle and later we see the temple and we see the glory of God dwelling there. And the crazy thing is today, 
the glory of God dwells in us. We are the building. We are the new tabernacle. We are the dwelling place. And so that has huge implications because it tells us who we are. It tells us who we are. So let me ask you this question. What's Ron's last name, that usher guy? Murray, yeah, 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 Murray. So I'm choking and gasping here in the first service. My voice is going and it's going and I'm, I'm like gurgling and I can hardly breathe. And Ron comes up and he says to me, here's your water. He says, uh, you woke me up when I heard you choking up there, so here's your water. <laughs> that was actually kind of funny. It was actually kind of funny. So what if, what if the NFL players showed up on Sunday and they thought that the stadium was the team? What if they thought the stadium was the team? And they showed up, and they walked into the stadium, and they found themselves a seat, and they sat down. Like, yeah, I'm here, I'm ready. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do anything. They just sat there. Because they didn't know that they were the team, they thought, somehow, they got this crazy idea in their head. They thought the stadium, the, the stadium was actually the team. So they just showed up and they sat down and they didn't do anything. And all the people that came to watch the game were bored stiff because nothing was going on. The fans would be pretty bored and pretty disappointed. Wait a minute, that's what we do. We think, we think the building is the church. We all just show up and we just sit down. We don't do anything and then we leave. And I wonder how often God, now, that's kind of offensive, I know. I'm not talking about we, us, unless it really applies. I'm saying we, American church, we've, we've fallen into this. We, me, and a bunch of people that I've worshipped with for 40 years, right? Somehow, we put the word church on the building, then we show up and we make pretend the building is the church, and we just sit in it, and then we leave. And how many American churchgoers think that that one hour on a weekend, they punch their card and then they leave? They think they're good. They're good. They went to church. I mean... If you're a church-going person, you got to be a good person, amen? You're a good church-goer. Oh, man. That's not good news. That's bad news. That's terrible news. We, like, we get to be the church. We get to be living stones. We get to be a, a living building that God says, you, you come together and you'll be a building, but you'll be this like living building and I'm going to indwell you. My spirit is going to gift you and empower you and lead you and guide you and teach you. And I'm going to be, you're going to be my, you're going to be my body. You can be my body and you'll be my body that advances throughout the world to, to advance my kingdom so that, the, the, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we get to be, we get to be the carriers of the glory of God. And if we take that name off and put it on a building, 
We miss out. That's bad news. That's, that's called, you know what that's called? That's called religion. And religion is nothing like a relationship. Religion, you just got to show up and just sit there and wait until that guy gets finished. Oh man, I hope he gets finished soon. And then you get to leave. But that's, that's okay though because you get to say, I went to church. That's bad. That's no fun. So, that messes a bad definition of who we are messes with that center box called service. Because if we don't know who we are, we don't know what it is we're to do. We don't know that we're supposed to do anything. So this morning, I get, I get, we get to read this and I get to say, you, you are the body of Christ. We together are the church. And so wherever we are, there's church. You know that old thing, uh, this is the church and this is the steeple. Open the, open the door and see all the people. It's heresy from the pit of hell. And we're teaching our kids this, right? I mean, really? This is the church and this is a steeple? Ah! It's bad. So, so we're the church. The people are the church. Open the door and see all the church. But that doesn't sound good. It doesn't rhyme. But we get to go out. So some of us are going to go out this afternoon. We're all going out. And it doesn't matter if you've got a yellow shirt on or not. You're the church. And you're going out. And you get to serve and love and be the body of Christ wherever you are. This is a 24-7 thing. This is not just a... This is not a one day a week, a one hour a week deal. So I just have uh, two other thoughts. And the thoughts are, um, by the way, you got to like that NFL illustration, right? It, it's, it's the same thing. It's as ridiculous as people who just go to church and think they're going to church. It's important. Like all this stuff, this stuff, this love stuff, the fact that God is love and that we've got to be serving out of love, a motivation of love, this all goes together. It all goes together. Because when we're the church, we realize we're loved and we're empowered and then we can love and we can be empowered to love others. It all goes together. So, um, this, now this is fundamental. and the, I, I know I'm not going to lose you on this one. We are not a building. <laughs> you and I. We're not a building. We wouldn't, we're too squishy. We wouldn't stand up very well under, under pressure. We are not a building. And newsflash, a building is not us. Okay, a building is not us. We are the church. We are the church. We, because, because we live in a culture that's just soaked in the opposite, and it just is. Our vernacular, our, our, our nomenclature is soaked in the opposite. Um, we have to say it. We have to say it and remind ourselves. The ways of the tabernacle and temple are obsolete. God now dwells in us by his spirit. We are the body of Christ. That's good news. That's really good news. And then gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we serve God and others, motivated and fueled by love. That's good news. Because love is the only fuel. It's not the, the E10, it's not the new E15, it's not the E85. It's the 100 proof uh, divine power from God to serve and care for others. 
and to connect us with him. So, the building's not the church, you're the church. Go and sin no more. Oh, wait. (laughs) So go out and sin no more by thinking you left church. You didn't leave church. You're it, baby. You're it, and you're it 24-7. And it's a privilege we get to experience. We get to do it. We get to go, be God's representatives, and we get to have him inside of us helping us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we have the privilege, not just the opportunity, but the privilege, the privilege of being known by you and knowing you, of being loved by you, and because of that, loving you. And because of that, we get to love each other. And again, Lord, I just think about the fact that that we're the ones, we're the ones that you died for. We're the ones that you paid for with your blood. And we get to do ministry. We get to serve. We get to love other people because of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to understand these things. Because we do, we swim in a culture that is going in the other direction. The other direction, God. So as we go out today, um, whether we're going on a planned project or whether we're going to family for dinner or whether we're going back to our home with our family God help us to um, help us to take you with us not to turn you off on the way out the door but to recognize you in every moment of our lives and to serve you as the church all 168 hours of the week we thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen